Matthew chapter 26, verses 31 through 75. So again, last time, last supper, night before his crucifixion. Here we are in the last hours of Jesus' life before the cross. There's so much about the heart of Christ in this passage. And then there are also quite a few lessons for us as disciples. And that's what we're going to pick up are just some, some lessons that we learn from watching how his disciples behave in these last hours before he goes to the cross. So pick it up at verse 31. Then Jesus said to them, all of you will be made to stumble because of me this night. For it is written, I will strike the shepherd and the sheep of the flock will be scattered. But after I have been raised, I will go before you to Galilee. Jesus now, leaving the Last Supper, turns to his disciples and he says, all of you will be made to stumble. Now, he doesn't mean literally like trip and fall. What he means by stumble is he means you'll be offended. You will turn away from me temporarily. Um, we know that they don't turn away completely, but he's warning his disciples. He's saying some tough times are coming and you disciples, you're actually going to turn away from me. And he quotes there, notice in your Bible, it's probably all in capital letters there that I will strike the shepherd. He's quoting Zechariah chapter 13, verse 7. That prophecy was written around 6th century BC. So it's interesting, this old prophecy, this old prediction, Jesus is taking that right there and he's applying it to what's going on right now. I don't know if you, if you know this, but hundreds of prophecies were fulfilled in Christ's first coming. And then there are also hundreds yet to be fulfilled in his second coming that are yet to come. But this is just one of them from Zechariah. I will strike the shepherd and the sheep of the flock will be scattered. Now, they should have trusted Jesus' words right here. If Jesus turned to you today and he said, look, you're going to deny me. You're going to turn from me. Probably be something to listen to. But look what happens in verse 33. Peter answered and said to him, even if all are made to stumble because of you, I will never be made to stumble. Jesus said to him, assuredly, I say to you that this night before the rooster crows, you will deny me three times. Peter said to him, even if I have to die with you, I will not deny you. And so said all the disciples. I remember when I first became a Christian, you know, going to church out in California, um, that people always used to give uh, Peter such a hard time, you know, for saying things and like he's putting his, puts his foot in his mouth a lot. And I, I thought, you know, yeah, he denied Jesus. And it, I want you to notice there that all the disciples said this. The end of verse 35. All of the disciples said confidently that they would not deny Jesus. But look what Peter says there. He, you know, Jesus tells them directly, you will deny me. And then interestingly, Peter argues with Jesus. Now, I'm here to ask you today, have you ever argued with Jesus? You know, have you ever opened his word or heard something that he was, you know, laying on you in prayer? And have you ever argued with Jesus? seems foolish when we see that Peter argues with Jesus. He did it before. Remember when Jesus said that I will go to the cross, you know, essentially back, you know, 
you know, like last year when we were there, and then Jesus pulled him aside, or Peter pulls Jesus aside and says, far be it from you, Lord, to go to the cross. This won't happen to you, you know? And then remember what Jesus said to him? He goes, get behind me, Satan. You're thinking man's thoughts and not God's thoughts. This is the second time that Peter has like really just blatantly just said, no, you're wrong, Jesus. And in verse 35, he says, even if I have to die with you, I will not deny you. And I want to point out Two words there that are very beneficial for us as Christians today. You know what they are? I will. Peter's self-confident. He says, I will not deny you. Peter thinks his faith is so strong. Stronger than the others around him. He looks around the whole church and says, even if all of them deny you, not me. In his self-confidence, Peter doesn't take what Jesus says seriously. In his self-confidence, Peter doesn't take the prophecy from Zechariah seriously either. Self-confidence leads to not listening to Jesus or taking what the word says seriously. Great danger. Even if his zeal is to be commended, I would never deny you, Jesus. Even if his zeal is to be commended, Peter's overestimation of his faith gets him in trouble. So said all the disciples. You'll all deny me. No, nope. Self-confidence caused them to downplay the warning of scriptures and the words of Jesus. There's a very real danger in self-confident faith. As we will see, they should have taken this warning seriously. Number two, Jesus prays in the garden and is arrested. Verse 36. Then Jesus came with them to a place called Gethsemane. Gethsemane means the olive press, the place of crushing, where olives are crushed and the oil comes out of them. It's very fitting for what goes on there. And he says to his disciples there, sit here while I go and pray over there. And he took with him Peter and the two sons of Zebedee, which are James and John, and he began to be sorrowful and deeply distressed. Now, Luke tells us in his gospel that he was sweating drops of blood. It's an interesting picture of the humanity of Jesus, right? We focus on the deity of Jesus, how he's fully God, and he's also fully man. Those are two cardinal doctrines of Christianity on, the, on who Christ is, who is Jesus. He's fully God and he's fully man. And as, as a man, he's stressing out. He's thinking about going to the cross. He's thinking about being crucified and he's thinking about the father laying the penalty of sin upon him. And Luke says that he sweats drops of blood. Luke being a physician would take special note of those things. Verse 38 says, my soul is exceedingly sorrowful even to death. Stay here and watch with me. Now he's asking his friends to pray and watch with him. And I don't know, maybe you can find a place in the scripture, but this is the first place I ever see where Jesus like asked them to do anything for him. Maybe there are other ones. Yeah, there are. How about the, how about the loaves and the fishes? Go see how many loaves and fishes are out there. But nonetheless, he asks his friends to pray and watch with him in this difficult hour. Verse 39, he went a little farther and he fell on his face and he prayed saying, oh, father, if it, pos- if it is possible, let this cup pass from me. Now that's an interesting statement. Let this cup pass from me. It's not like he had like a big gulp and he's like, I don't want that. 
it was a kind of an expression, you know, it's like if a king in these days was going to go take over another place and pour out his wrath upon him and say, drink the wrath of king, you know, whoever. Drink the cup of the wrath. And that's what he's talking about as he's saying, Father, if there's another way than you pouring out your wrath, could, could there be another way than that? And that's what he's asking. He says, nevertheless, not as I will, but as you will. Verse 40 says, then he came to the disciples and found them sleeping. And he said to Peter, what? Could you not watch with me one hour? Watch and pray lest you enter into temptation. The spirit indeed is willing, but the flesh is weak. Something a self-confident person does not understand. Again, a second time he went away and prayed saying, Oh, Father, if this cup cannot pass away from me unless I drink it, your will be done. And he came and found them asleep again, for their eyes were heavy. So he left them, went away again, and prayed the third time, saying the same words. Then he came to his disciples and said to them, Are you still sleeping and resting? Behold, the hour is at hand, and the Son of Man is being betrayed into the hands of sinners. Rise, let us be going. See, my betrayer is at hand. Some commentators imagine that Jesus maybe sat there for an hour or so and watched them sleep. And I don't think he's like disappointed in them because Jesus knows what's in all men and women, right? I think he understands. That's why he said to them, watch and pray because you're willing. You want to do the right thing, but the flesh is weak. Where he says, oh, my father, if it's possible, let this cup pass from me. If what were possible, that is the wrath of sin poured out upon Christ on the cross. He says, if there is another way the salvation of mankind can happen, let it be. Let's go that way. I, if I don't have to go to the cross, okay. The Father's silence here, it tells you that there is no other way to salvation. If there was another way, it would have come up right then. Jesus says, I'm the way, the truth, and the life, and nobody comes to the Father except through me. In the book of Acts, it says there's one name given under heaven by which men and women can be saved, the man Christ Jesus. Christianity is exclusive, which also makes it offensive, especially in 2022, because everybody wants to respect everybody's opinion for everything, and we can't say to somebody, oh, you're sincere in what you believe, and you know, everybody's going to heaven, you know, as long as you're sincere, as long as you're a good person. Because that's the religion of 2020 in America is the religion of being a good person. And so when you tell somebody something as offensive as this, as you dare to say that there's one way to salvation and it has nothing to do with your good works or whether you're a good person or not, if you have the audacity to speak like that in 2022, well, you would be like Jesus. You'd be like Paul. It's sad to say that the church and the world are getting softer when it comes to the very basics of the gospel. Men today are so much more concerned about what people think about them than they are what God thinks about them. And as a result, there are churches filled with people that aren't converted, that are falsely assured that they're on their way to heaven when they've never come to the cross of Christ. Jesus is about to experience the dread of all the Father's wrath against sin, being separated from the Father in his last moments on the cross. And he cries out in his humanity, God, if there's another way. And his silence says that there's not. 
Nevertheless, I want you to notice this there. It says, nevertheless, not as I will, but as you will. Now, if you're a Bible highlighter, I'm looking at this gal up here and like all of her Bibles highlighted. How do you even know one from the next? (laughs) If you are a Bible highlighter where Jesus says, nevertheless, not as I will, but your will be done, that is the wisest thing you can add to the end of any of your prayers. Please notice the disciples were saying, I will, and Jesus is saying, thy will. Huge difference in those two things. Reading a book recently about divine healing. Pretty interested in this subject because there are a lot of people that take advantage of people on, on TV with the, all these things. And there's all this false doctrine about naming and claiming healing and like all these these false teachings out there that make it seem like if you have enough faith, then God's going to heal every disease and he's going to give you money and a Rolls Royce and all this stuff. And it's everywhere. And that's like the Christian top 20 books are about this stuff. And so I'm reading a book on divine healing. And in that book, it says that one of the things that you never want to say when you are praying is if thy will, if it be thy will, Lord, we're praying for a healing today, if it be thy will. And they say, no, 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 you can't say, if it be thy will, because you're expressing a lack of faith. I'll tell you what, I'd rather be like Jesus instead of like those con artists. You know, because Jesus says, (laughs) nevertheless, thy will be done. Lord, I really want you to bring a healing. I really want you to do these things that I know you're capable, but nevertheless, thy will be done. And so I, I think you're okay with Jesus. It just shows great wisdom if you're willing to submit your will to the will of the Father. My grandpa used to take me fishing when I was a little boy. And I didn't really like to go fishing so much. I mean, I like to be with him. But now, if if I would have been the leader, we would have went to, you know, ice cream, (laughs) you know, or something else. But, but my grandpa, I surrendered. I said, not my will, but thy will. And we ended up going to the really fun place to fish, and, and then it was a good time. I think it's a perfectly wise thing to surrender my will to his will. Verse 40 says, then he came to the disciples. He found them sleeping. He said to Peter, what could you not watch? So again, three times Jesus prayed this. I've read in another book that they say that you should never pray the same prayer More than once, because it expresses a lack of faith. Again, Jesus prayed the same thing three times. I don't have a problem with it. I'd rather be like Jesus than the people that write these books. Verse 41. Here's a good warning. Watch and pray unless you enter temptation. Now, just as much as that applied to the disciples then, that applies to you today. Watch and pray unless you enter into temptation. You say, man, I've been trying to walk with the Lord and it's really difficult. I always fall into sin all the time. Are you watching and praying? lest you fall into temptation. I have to ask myself that. I go through seasons of life where I go, man, I'm falling, I'm fleshed out, you know? I'm falling into sin. I'm not on fire for the Lord. Things are, my flesh is strong. You know, I'm watching too much TV. You know, I'm sitting, eating too much food. I'm dealing with my anxieties in ways that aren't healthy or helpful. I'm focused too much on my comfort. I'm trying to get too much validation from other people. Why? Have you been watching and praying? No, (laughs) to be honest with you. Watch and pray unless you enter temptation, Jesus says. Why? Because the spirit is indeed willing, but your flesh is weak. If you walk with Christ long enough, you're going to realize your flesh is weak. It's going to fail. And if you feed that instead of feeding the spirit, you're going to be a Christian that has no victory, no power in your life. 
there's the dynamic that comes by walking in the Spirit. And that isn't some mystical, like, Scooby-Doo mystery sort of thing, like, I'm, wa- I'm walking in the Spirit. Ooh. I get some weird voice like, oh, I'm hearing from the Lord. Walking by the Spirit means that my mind is saturated with the Word of Christ, that I'm feeding on the bread of life, that I'm praying, that I'm asking the Holy Spirit to fill me and empower me. And I'm doing this daily, and I'm in close contact with the Lord and my relationship solid with Him. That's what it means to be walking by the Spirit, is walking in obedience to the Holy Spirit's Word, to be filled with Him, to be guided by Him, to be receiving his promptings, be receiving his guidance and his power. That's what it means to walk by the Spirit. There's a beautiful dynamic that we can have. But we have to realize our flesh is weak, although our spirit is willing, so we don't overestimate. We don't have a self-confident overestimation of our faith. So, verse 44, he left him, he went away, and he prayed the third time. It's okay to pray multiple times. Now, Verse 47 through 56, Jesus is betrayed and arrested. Look at verse 47. And while he was still speaking, behold, Judas, one of the twelve, with a great multitude of swords and clubs, came from the chief priests and the elders of the people. That's the religious establishment of the time. Verse 48 says, Now his betrayer, Judas, had given them a sign saying, Whomever I kiss, he's the one, seize him. Immediately, He went up to Jesus and said, greetings, rabbi, and he kissed him. Now, the word translated kissed here is a passionate kiss. It's kind of a gross thing what happens here. You got to think about it. Betrayal, at the same time, you're, you're up close and personal kissing this guy on the cheek. It's a pretty gross picture. Verse 50 says, Jesus said to him, friend, why have you come? If you're a Bible highlighter, I want you to highlight that one word in your scriptures there, the word friend. Because you'll think about that as you keep reading through the Bible every year or how often you do it. Then they came and laid hands on Jesus and took him. And suddenly one of those who were with Jesus stretched out his hand and drew his sword and struck the servant of the high priest and cut off his ear. Now, John's gospel tells us that Peter's the one that did that. And he also tells us that the guy that got his ear chopped off's name is Malchus. And I bring that up because when you're in heaven, you can ask Malchus what this was like, (laughs) you know, because it even gets better in the gospel of Luke. It says that Luke, Luke noted that Jesus healed his ear again. Like right there, he picks up the guy's ear and puts it on him. When I get to heaven, I want to talk to Malchus and be like, dude, did you get converted like right then? (laughs) You know? Yeah. One, I mean... My ear was cut off. It was like Tyson and Holyfield. I mean, it was crazy. And then Jesus grabbed the thing and just put it back on and like nothing ever happened again, like instant healing. Yeah, Malchus has probably got a testimony. Where's Malchus, man? I want to... Verse 52, Jesus said to him, put your sword in its place for all who take the sword will perish by the sword. Do you think that I cannot pray now to my father and he'll provide me with more than 12 legions of angels? You guys ever read the Old Testament? Do you remember what one angel did in one night? That's your homework. If if you want some homework this week, find out in the Old Testament how many people that one angel wiped out in one night. If you Google that, you'll figure it out. 12 legions is pretty remarkable. How then could the scriptures be fulfilled that it must happen thus. In other words, he's saying, Peter, this is the plan of God. This is the fulfillment of prophecy. God's words will come true. It's a doctrine theologians call the infallibility of Scripture. If God said it, it's happening. 
And that's what Jesus is saying. Peter put, this is how it's to happen. All the prophecies said he's turned over to evil men. All these different things, these details about what will happen. All of this was written. You say, this blows my mind because these guys are making choices in their will. But yet God, you're saying, is kind of like he's playing chess with people at the same time. And it's like, it's remarkable. It's mind-blowing. I can't, I can't explain that to you here today. I don't get it. But I know it's true. In that hour, verse 55, Jesus said to the multitudes, have you come out against a robber with swords and clubs to take me? I sat daily with you teaching in the temple. You didn't seize me. But all this was done that the scriptures of the prophets might be fulfilled. Then all the disciples forsook him and fled. They should have taken his advice. Remember? Jesus warned them. He told them to pray and watch. And they didn't take his word seriously and they fell. I want you to notice something. We go back to verse 50 for a second, please. And you look at that word friend. I don't know. I've always kind of hopped over that word every time. And I thought maybe it was just, you know, I don't know, I didn't pay attention to it. But this time the Holy Spirit brought this, this word friend out to me. Jesus still calls him friend. It, it can't be worse than selling out God for 30 pieces of silver. It's because of you that Christ is going to the cross. You sold him out and it's just about done and Jesus calls him friend. The door of repentance is open right there for Judas. If he would have changed his will, the disciples are like, I will. God's like, I've got a will. Jesus is like, not my will, but thy will. And Jesus is like, I will, or Judas, I will sell him out. He could have changed his will right then. Have you ever been at your darkest, darkest, wondering why Christ ever spent time on you or wondering even if you're truly saved and just wondering how could God have mercy on somebody like me? And you know that he calls you friend and he speaks that to you. You're my friend. When you were dead in your trespasses and sins, I died for you. It's enough to wreck you, man. That when you're at your worst, maybe you're at your worst last week. Maybe you're at your worst here just before you got here. Some people have a hard time in the car on their way to church. You know, they're wrestling with God. They're like, I don't want anything to do with this. Whatever it is. Maybe you're at a bad place with God. I want to tell you that God calls you. He wants to be your friend. He wants to be your friend. He wants you to turn to him. He wants you to lay these things that are a hindrance between you and him at his feet, at his cross, and he wants to be your friend. He wants you to come close to him. And he did that with Judas. That just wrecks me, man. I, I've been so bad, but he calls me friend. Number three. Our last point, verse 57 through 75, Jesus is on trial before the Sanhedrin. That's just another word for the council, a council of Jews here. Verse 57, and those who laid hold of Jesus led him away to Caiaphas, the high priest, where the scribes and the elders were assembled. But Peter followed him at a distance to the high priest's courtyard. And when he went in and sat with the servants, to, or he went in with the servants to see the end. Now the chief priests, the elders, and all the council sought false testimony against Jesus to put him to death, but found none. Even though many false witnesses came forward, they found none. But at last, two false witnesses came forward. 
There had to be two. Remember, according to the law, Leviticus, if two people establish something, it's two of them come forward and said, this fellow said, I'm able to destroy the temple and build it in three days. Now, you remember in the Gospel of John, he did say this, but he wasn't referring to the temple. He was referring to the temple of his body. Now, Caiaphas, we know from John 18 that Jesus was first taken to Annas. Now, Annas was the former high priest and he was the father-in-law of Caiaphas. So that happened first chronologically. Then Jesus was sent bound to Caiaphas' house. Here we are. This was a well-planned conspiracy. The scribes and the elders are already there. Now it's about midnight, okay? It's illegal to have nighttime trials, one. And they're already all assembled. In the case of capital offenses, which they're trying to accuse Jesus of, they're trying to kill him, they could only be held at the temple and only could be held in public. And so everything that's going on here is illegal. Verse 62, the high priest arose and said to him, do you answer nothing? What is it these men testify against you? You remember Isaiah? He was led like a sheep to the slaughter, like a lamb to the slaughter, yet he opened not his mouth. But Jesus kept silent. And the high priest answered and said to him, I put you under oath by the living God. Tell us if you are the Christ, the Son of God. So now he's bound by law. He's been put under the Jewish law by oath to testify to who he truly is. Verse 64, Jesus said to him, It is as you said, Nevertheless, I say to you, hereafter you will see the Son of Man sitting at the right hand of the power and coming on the clouds of heaven. Then the high priest tore his clothes, saying, uh, he has spoken blasphemy. Now, that's an interesting detail because according to Levitical law, the high priest was not to tear his clothes. But the Talmud, a Jewish you know, piece of writing later on, said that in the case of blasphemy, the high priest could tear his clothes. He said, what the heck? These people are weird. Why is he ripping his clothes? It was a sign of like uh, just complete offense. Just, oh, I can't believe it. And you just rip your shirt, you know? Doesn't translate well into our culture today. What further need do we have of witnesses? Look, now you've heard his blasphemy. What do you think? And they answered and they said, he is deserving of death. They're stoked. They finally got him. Now, they don't care about the blasphemy. That's as phony as the trial. They just care that they can put Jesus to death. And we know from the other Gospels, and we put the picture together, that they were greedy, that they loved the power, that they loved the money that came in through their religious position. Think about that. People that disguise themselves as religious authorities that are more concerned about making money and having power and parking spots than they are about Jesus. It's ironic, right? The people that work for God want to kill God. That's bizarre. Your mind should think that's pretty bizarre, man. Um, <laughs> verse 67. Then they spat in his face and beat him, and others struck him with the palms of their hands. Mark's gospel tells us they put a bag over his head. If you're going to get hit in the face, you brace yourself for it, right? But Mark's gospel said he had a bag over his head first, so he couldn't brace himself for it. And verse 68 says, 
they're saying, prophesy to us, Christ. Which one struck you? You ever been around people that are just like, ah, yeah, prophesy, prophesy, do it, Christ. You know, or like they're just that kind of like jackals, you know? Prophesy, who's the one that struck you? I want you to go back to verse 58, if you will, for a second, and I want you to notice something there. It says that Peter, how did Peter follow Jesus at this point? Look in verse 58. From a distance. There's a progression here that Peter goes through. You see, Peter's about to deny Jesus. It's about the worst thing he's ever done in his life. In fact, Peter's denial of Jesus weighed on his heart so heavy that when it came time for Peter to die, he was crucified. But he said to the people that were crucifying him, hang me upside down because I'm not even worthy. And him and his wife both were crucified upside down because this weighed so heavy on Peter. What's coming here? But I want you to notice that first of all, Peter was self-confident. He was full of zeal, but he was self-confident. He denied the prophecy of Zechariah. He denied the words of Jesus and he failed to watch him pray and he falls into temptation. And I want you to notice that at this point, he's following Jesus at a distance. Now, when you read John's gospel, it says that he's in the courtyard and he's warming his hands at the fire of the enemy. And that's the progression, isn't it? I'm so self-confident, I don't take Jesus' commands and the words seriously. I don't watch and pray because I think I've got everything figured out. The next thing you know, I'm following at a distance. And the next thing you know, I'm warming my hands at the fire of the enemy. Verse 69. Now Peter sat outside in the courtyard. That's where he's warming his hands. And a servant girl came to him saying, you also were with Jesus of Galilee. But he denied it before them all saying, I don't know what you're saying. And when he had gone out the gateway, another girl saw and said to those who were there, hey, this fellow, also he was with Jesus of Nazareth, but he again denied it with an oath. Now he's taking an oath. I swear, I do not know him. I don't know anything. Don't know that guy. And a little later, those who stood by came up and said to Peter, surely you are one of them for your speech betrays you. He had a Galilean accent, stuck out like a sore thumb. Then he began to curse and swear and say, I do not know the man. Immediately a rooster crowed. And Peter remembered the words of Jesus who had said to him, before the rooster crows, you will deny me three times. So he went out and he wept bitterly. Then Peter remembered the words of Jesus, right? It's far better not to be self-confident and to heed the words of Christ and to watch and pray before it gets to this point, right? The denial and the arrest of Jesus, betrayed by a friend, denied by his closest friends. <coughs> As we leave here today, we do well to learn from the disciples. Scripture said they would stumble. They should have believed it. Jesus told them they would deny him. They should have received it. Jesus said, watch and pray. They should have applied it. They were overly confident and all denied him. Self-confidence is the enemy of true discipleship. You need Christ's confidence. You need to be confident in him. You need to have a healthy distrust of yourself and have a trust of Christ. You remember at the Last Supper when Jesus said, one of you will betray me. What did they all say? 
Is it me? Is it me? Is it me? And that was a good place to be. I don't trust myself. I don't even know what's in my own heart. That's why I desperately need to cling to Christ. I need the wisdom that comes through his word and through prayer. I want you to remember another thing as you leave here today, that Jesus called Judas friend even when he was at his darkest point. It doesn't get worse than that. If you've been struggling in your walk, and if you've been, um, you know if you have, I just want you to know that Jesus wants to be your friend. If you're breathing here today, it's not too late for you to turn and receive forgiveness from the Lord. I also want you to leave here today thinking about the exclusivity of Christianity, that there's one way that you come. And I don't know everybody in here today, and I don't know if you've come to Christ through the cross, through the way that God, the one way. And so I want to make that available to you. If you haven't today, it's, I don't want to say it's simple. I hear a lot of pastors and I hear a lot of YouTubers saying it's simple to get saved. I think it's too simple to say it's simple to get saved. It's simple in the sense where it's not about your works. Like you can't ever do anything that's good enough to get God to let you into heaven based on your works. Like you can't work your way in there. It's not like a job where you can punch the clock and do really well and get a paycheck for it. It's not like that. Salvation is a free gift to you, but it's not free in the sense that it, I mean, it, it costs something. It costs Christ everything. And we'll see that next week as we see Jesus go to the cross. But Christ paid so you could get saved. So it's not about your works. And in this sense, it's simple. It's, it's about believing what happened at the cross. It's about believing that Jesus died for you. The way that a person gets saved is the Holy Spirit convicts you of your sin. This is how it starts. The Holy Spirit tells you that there's something wrong about you, that you're falling short of the glory of God. I understand this is not a popular message in 2022. I mean, you're supposed to tell everybody that they get a trophy even if they lost, you know. But the Bible says that Jesus sent the Holy Spirit so he would convict the world of sin, of judgment, and righteousness. That's what it says in the Gospel of John that the Holy Spirit does. People think of the Holy Spirit as a party favor that just gives everybody like spiritual goosebumps, but he also convicts of sin. He shows us our need for Jesus. And I could get all worked up and you know, all this and that. And that, that, if you want to deny what I'm saying, you can do that. But I'll tell you, if the Holy Spirit is at work on your heart today, you can't do that. You can't escape him. Right Now, if today it just so happens that 11, 12 a.m., you're here in Mason City in this place and the Holy Spirit has been working on you and now there's a guy preaching the gospel in front of you that's telling you that Jesus wants to be your friend, it's your time. And so what you do is you confess your sin to the Lord. You say, you know what? I, I hear what you're saying to me. I've fallen short of the glory of God. I've stolen, I've lied, I've cheated, I've hated, I've lusted. And I need forgiveness for these things. I've denied you. I need forgiveness. And the good news is he wants to be your friend. <laughs> and without that today, if you die in the state that you're at, you're going to 
spend eternity away from him. But that door is open right now. Don't be a fool like Judas that didn't take the invitation. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word here today. And we thank you for Christ our Savior. Lord, I pray that you would just bless these words to our heart. And your spirit, Holy Spirit, you know who needs to hear what. I pray for anybody here today, Father, that this is the day of salvation for them. That you would let them know that your arms are open wide. That you want them to be friends and welcome them in. In Jesus' name, amen.